I've become convinced that one of the hardest things that we have to deal with in this life is when somebody that we know, even worse than that, somebody that we love, goes through hardship and suffering. I mean, it's a different story when the hardship and suffering is happening to you, but when it's happening to somebody that you know, to somebody that you love, there's almost nothing you can do, right? Sure, you can offer words of, of consolation and encouragement. You can even offer words and actions of empathy, but none of that, that fixes the suffering, does it? And when suffering happens, when hardship happens to somebody that we know, to somebody that we love, what is the natural question that we ask? Why? Why did this happen to somebody that we know? Why did this happen to somebody that we love? But laden underneath that question of why is a deeper and maybe a little bit more selfish of a question. You're not just wondering why it happened to somebody and want an answer to that, but you're also wondering, how do I keep this from happening to me? Right? This is exactly what's going on in John chapter 9 when Jesus and his disciples encounter this man born blind. Jesus and his disciples are walking around Jerusalem and they see this man sitting on a street corner who is blind from birth. Now, every single day, this man's friends, because he couldn't do it on his own, would grab him by the hand and take him to that street corner to do the thing that was necessary to save his life, to beg for what he needed to survive. And his disciples see him and they bring him, they bring him to Jesus' attention. But instead of seeing a man, what do they see? They see his problem. They say, Rabbi or teacher, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. You can hear it in the formulation of their question. They're wondering, why did this happen and how do I keep this from happening to me? And the reason that they formulate their question like this is because of the way that the religious leaders had so long come to talk about hardship and suffering. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had come to talk about hardship and suffering as the direct result of some terrible sin that you committed. Right? Do you hear that in their question? Jesus did his parents' sin and having a child who was born blind was a visceral reminder of their disobedience and their punishment for the sins that they committed. Or, teacher, did this man sin? And because he sinned, or because he is blind, that means he must have sinned somehow in the womb and that being born blind was his punishment. This was common. This is the way people thought about hardship and suffering. And in fact, you even see that in, I'm going to spoil it for you, this man, he gets his sight back. But after this man gets his sight back, he is talking in the temple with those religious leaders, and this man sees nothing but good in Jesus. He's a prophet, the man born blind says. And what do the religious leaders say to him? You were born steeped in sin. You have no right to lecture us. This is not just what the religious leaders were teaching. The disciples were infected with this teaching. And all they see is the problem. And really, is it all that different? the disciples' line of questioning, is that all that different from the way that we look at and question hardship and suffering when it happens in the world? I mean, the world is filled with well-intentioned people, even well-intentioned Christians who, when something bad happens in the world, their first reaction is to either blame God or say that this hardship and suffering is God's way of exacting justice and retribution for the wickedness of this world. And this is what we think too sometimes. We are tempted when we see bad stuff happen in the world to wonder, God, why is this happening? And inherently laden in that question is how do I keep it from happening to me, God, because I don't want to deal with it. 
Now, when Jesus looks at this man, he doesn't just see the man's problem, but he sees the man himself. And this is a man who not only had an inability to see Jesus, but never asked for Jesus to come, never asked for Jesus' help. And yet to this man, Jesus comes, and to this man, Jesus helps. Or for this man, Jesus offers incredible help, doesn't he? He offers him sight. I love this account in John chapter 9 here. Because really, really it's a story all about you and me, isn't it? Because you and I were born into this world completely and totally blind, with an inability to see. And when you and I have hardship of any sort happen, not just hardship in the world, but hardship and suffering of any sort happen in our lives, because of our blindness, we're tempted to think, I wonder, I wonder what I did for God to get even with me or to want to get even with me. Was it the thing I did last week or the actions I took against my spouse or the words that I spoke at work that got me into some sort of trouble? Whatever it might be, I can't figure it out, but this must be God's way of getting even with me, of me getting my just desserts for what I did. This is all born out of blindness, right? A misunderstanding of who God is and what God wants for you. But it's important as we progress through this account in John chapter 9 that we understand this one thing. The way in which the religious leaders thought God worked, the way our hearts naturally think that God works, is on a karmic system, is on a tit-for-tat scale. I do this, therefore God does this to me. But that is completely backwards and completely a misunderstanding of who God is. God never, ever once says, this is how I'm going to work, that I'm going to punish you for the things that you do in order to get even with you. That's not how God says that he works. But the only way to understand that is to be given sight. It's to be given the ability to see. And when Jesus sees this man, he offers him sight in a very odd way. And as I study this account from John chapter 9, I can't figure out what is more odd. Whether it's the way in which Jesus gives man sight, right? Spitting in the dirt, mixing it together to make mud and lathering it on his eyes. I can't figure out if that's odder or if the thing that's more odd is the fact that this man born blind actually listens. Right, Jesus, he takes that mud and, or that dirt and spit combination mud and he lathers it on the guy's eyes and he tells him, hey, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he just goes. He probably needed some friends to take him there. His friends probably thought, you're kind of odd for having mud lathered on your eyes. But the man goes and he washes his eyes and he came home seeing. This man, who could never see Jesus on his own, physically, who never asked for Jesus' help, Jesus comes to him and he gives him sight. It's an incredible and substantial miracle, and yet it is far from the most significant thing that happens in this text. God is far from done in dealing with this man born blind and now can see, but before he goes and deals with him, he has to deal with that pesky group of religious leaders. Now, when the religious leaders catch wind of what Jesus had done and that this man born blind, a man that they probably knew because he sat on the same street corner every single day begging, now all of a sudden he can see, they kept asking themselves, how did this happen? Now, if there was a group in Jerusalem who should have known the answer to that question, it was these Pharisees. These were men who understood and knew the Old Testament both backwards and forwards. They knew about the prophecies like the one from Isaiah chapter 42 that talks about the depth of God's love that is going to be found in the Messiah and that the Messiah is going to give sight to the blind. 
Right? Guys, these guys knew that. They could see these prophecies clearly, yet were totally blind to the fulfillment of these prophecies happening right in front of them. They could physically see, but spiritually they were so blind that they couldn't understand who Jesus was. They were so blinded by their legalism, a life lived by the law to try to keep yourself or to make yourself right with God, that when they heard about this miracle, what was the only thing that they cared for or cared about? It wasn't the fact that this guy had sight. It was the fact that Jesus did work to give that guy sight, and that work took place on a Sabbath day. So mixing mud or spit and dirt to make some mud, that was considered work. And so Jesus broke the third commandment and they said, they said, no sinner, no sinner can perform such things like that, can perform such miracles like that. These guys were just totally blinded by their legalism that they could not see Jesus. They couldn't see him at all. And when they asked that man, who is, uh, what do you know or what do you think about the guy who gave you sight? The man born blind and now could see, he calls Jesus a prophet. He correctly identifies who he is, at least in part. But the Pharisees, they say, you can't lecture us because you are steeped in sin. And they threw him out of the temple. How terrible. So blind were these men. And yet Jesus, when he finds out that that man born blind now could see, was thrown out of the temple, a man who never asked for Jesus to come to him, a man who never asked for Jesus' help, well, Jesus finds him and comes to him again and this time performs the big miracle. He asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man born blind says, well, who is he? And this is kind of the mic drop from Jesus. It's the one you're seeing. And this is the miracle, right? What happens afterwards? He believed in him. He worshiped him. This was a man who was born blind, both physically and spiritually, and by a gift and the grace of our Savior, he's now able to see who Jesus is. And this is why I love this account so much. I mean, I said this already, but it is the story of us. It's who we are. We are the man born blind. We are born into this world with our eyes blindly shut. We are so enveloped in darkness that we could never, ever see Jesus. And therein lies the issue. Because when you can't see Jesus, you can't see God. And when you can't see God, you can't make sense of who God is and what God wants for you. And then you can't make sense of hardship and suffering and the stuff that happens out in the world. Or, even worse, the stuff that happens to you. And so if you can't see Jesus, you're left to your own sinful devices to try to figure out answers to who God is and what God wants for you and how to make sense of everything. And you end up coming up with some really crazy stuff. That, when hardship and suffering come, that means God can't exist. Or, like the disciples, you think hardship and suffering has a direct result or a direct correlation to the sins that you commit because God operates on karma. And the people who then are suffering are the guys or girls or children who really have done something bad and they deserve that. Or, that if, or because of this hardship and suffering, God doesn't exist the way that he says he exists can't see Jesus, you can't see God. If you can't see God, you can't make sense out of anything in this life. But yet you're still left to try to answer the big questions of life, aren't you? What is my purpose? 
What am I supposed to be doing here in this world? What happens to me after I die? What is supposed to be most important to me? And if you're left with, to your own sinful devices, again, you're going to come up with stuff like, well, maybe life is about self-fulfillment, about me, myself, and I. Or that life is supposed to be about just family and work. Or that, that life is about chasing the passions and the pursuits and the pleasures of this world. When you're left to your own devices, you end up coming up with these uh, sayings to try to make yourself feel a little better. That, that what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. That dying is just another part of living. That I am just supposed to be about myself and, and I, that's what's going to make me happy and that's it. But not only are those incorrect, they are totally born out of blindness. But here's where the rubber hits the road in this account of the man born blind, how it is our story too. That when we weren't looking for Jesus, Jesus came to us and he found us and he gave us sight. He fixed that blindness problem that we had so that we could see him. When we see him, we can see God. And when you can see God, you can understand who he is and what he wants for you. But how did God do that for you? For the man born blind, it was some spit some mud or some dirt lathered on his eyes. That seems disgusting and insignificant, right? If somebody came up to you, even if you were a blind person and you said, I'm going to rub mud on your eyes, you're going to go, no, no, thank you, Jesus. These things seem disgusting and insignificant, but they are totally in character and in concert for how God loves to work in this world. God loves to attach power to weak and insignificant things. So dirt and spit, they seem weak and insignificant until, well, until they give a blind man sight. How did God give you sight? Probably through a few drops of water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't seem like it's going to do very much, right? Some water and some words. But then you remember God loves to attach power to apparently weak things. In each one of your baptisms, God made you a powerful promise. He said that sin that haunts you, it's washed away. That old man who stands completely opposed to me, it is drowned. And you're given the gift of sight. When you're given the gift of sight, you can see your Savior. When you can see your Savior, you can see God and you can begin to make sense of terrible things, even hardship and suffering that enters into your life. And when you see God in the proper way and understand that he doesn't operate on a karmic system, well, then you understand what God actually did with your sin. And that your God says to you, I am never, never going to exact the punishment that your sins deserve on you. Instead, I took it out of my son. True God from eternity, I placed your sin on him and I sent him to the cross to die the death that you deserve so that all of your sins are forgiven, they are forgotten, they are gone. But the only way, the only way for you to know that and to understand that and to realize that God doesn't operate on a karmic system, but that operates on a scale of love that far surpasses and supersedes any sort of love that we could understand, the only way for us to understand that is to live with the lights turned on, to have our blindness removed, and to be given sight. Because when you are given sight, you can see your Savior and you can understand God and you can even begin, even begin to make sense of suffering that does happen in your life. I mean, there's so much you could put underneath the umbrella of suffering and hardship. 
too much, in fact, because for every single person, it is different and it looks different. But maybe we say this this morning, that the suffering and the hardship that you have, just like the blind man had, may be a way that God is putting his work on display in your life. Because when you can see God, you understand that God wants nothing but the best for you both here in this life and in eternity. And when you can see God, you also understand that God not only accomplishes his will in your life, but also uses you to accomplish his will in this world. So maybe, just maybe the suffering and the hardship that you have, this is God's way of accomplishing his will. Now we'll never know on this side of heaven why God does the things that he does, and it's a fool's errand to try to figure it out. But maybe the suffering and the hardship that you are going through at this very moment, it's a way of God allowing you to put the the true comfort and the hope that you have in the gospel on display. To live in such a manner and in such a way that you show that what happens to me in this life is not the most important thing, but what is the thing that is most important to me is what's happening on the other side, what is waiting for me in eternity. And this may seem small, it may seem insignificant, these actions may seem a little bit meaningless. But then you remember that God loves to attach power to things that are apparently weak. Like the way in which you live your life. And that God would use those actions to show somebody else the light of Christ. To use you to give a blind person sight. Now maybe you're not suffering right now. And God be praised for that. But you probably know somebody who is. Somebody's going, going through some sort of hardship. And because you can see Jesus, you can see God, and you understand that God doesn't just call you to spread the gospel with your words. He also calls you to spread the gospel with your actions. And so for that person in your life that you know is suffering, reach out to them. Call them. Ask if they need anything. Even do what uh, Job's friends did when Job went through his terrible tragedy. Just offer to go sit in silence and suffer with them for seven days. Those actions, they may seem small and insignificant and meaningless until you remember that God loves to attach power to apparently weak things. Those are all actions that are born out of the gospel and ways that God is using you to accomplish his will, to show somebody his son and the depth of his love. In this world, God works in the most improbable and backwards ways. And not only are you living proof of that, each and every one of you living proof because you are a person who was born blind and has been given sight and can see Jesus, this is so improbable. Not only are you living proof of this, but you are also one of the improbable ways in which God is working in this world. He is working through you and through your words and through your actions to let the light of his Son shine in other people's hearts. God grant it that he would continue to use us, these people who were once blind but now can see, to show other people his son, the son who lived for us, who died for us, who rose for us. Amen.